0: Hello and welcome to Shrinkwrapped, a podcast created specifically for psychiatrists to provide you with bite-sized insight from leaders in your field. My name is Ross Thomason. I'm a co-founder of Thalamus, a company creating bespoke software for psychiatrists. Our goal is to create the digital tools that you need to deliver the best possible care for your patients. This week, my co-founder Arden speaks with Professor Rob Stewart. Rob is a Professor of Psychiatry at King's College London. A recipient of the Wellcome Fellowship, Rob's recent work has focused on epidemiology and clinical informatics, alongside later life mental disorders. Rob is the clinical lead for Clinical Record Interactive Search, CRIS, a tool which allows researchers to access frontline clinical data for their research. Arden speaks with Rob about how the ability to access data in the right format is crucial for his work. What he thinks the early breakthroughs are likely to be, and the technology solutions he's most excited about in the future. We hope you enjoy listening.
1: Rob, good morning. Thank you very much for speaking with us on Shrink Wrapped. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and welcome to the podcast. To kick off, if I may, I'd like to ask what it was that first drew you to psychiatry.
2: I made a fairly clear decision at medical school that it was probably the area I wanted to be in. I wanted to specialize. I was looking for opportunities to to sort of know as much as possible about something rather than rather than be a generalist. And psychiatry was always up there as as one of the most interesting areas for obvious reasons being all around the brain, how it works, how people behave, uh, how that sort of manifests um, in the difficulties people experience with mental health issues. And I considered other options soon after medical school, but psychiatry was always up there, old age psychiatry in particular, where I wanted to work. And and that's where I ended up working. Fantastic.
1: And you specialize quite, I mean, you are really quite specialist. What area of research are you working on at the moment?
2: Yes, yeah, so I, it's been a sort of process of specialising, I suppose. I specialised in psychiatry, then in old age psychiatry, then in research related to old age psychiatry, then in epidemiology and relating to research and, and now most recently in what we call clinical informatics or data science as a, as an area of, of research um, more specifically. So this involves using information particularly from routine sources to answer research questions
1: and do you have a team working with you because you work at the mortally and the institute of psychiatry is that correct
2: yes yes i do and I've, I've been at the institute of psychiatry since 1996 since i got my membership in psychiatry i, I carried on as a senior trainee here and have, have been here ever since and I, yeah i have a a sizable team. It's, it's a team that's difficult to put boundaries around. Um, so there are people who work directly for me. There are people working with me a lot who I don't directly line manage but are very much part of the team and then we service a sort of wider group of people using the resources we have for all sorts of different research questions some of whom I'm involved in their research some of whom I'm sort of supporting them for other colleagues and some of whom I have no particular contact with but I'm just trying to make the resource as useful as possible to as many people as possible.
1: This resource is that Is that the Chris? Is that the data led resource?
2: Yes, primarily. So, Chris was something that we set up in 2007, 2008, celebrated our 10th anniversary quite recently of running it. And that, at its core, essentially is our electronic health records from the South London and Maudsley Trust rendered de-identified, so the identifying information is removed and then rendered in in a way that's available for researchers to make data sets out of. That was at its core. It, it's been developed substantially over the years. We've been operating it particularly to extend the amount of information that's available from the record through the text fields, through natural language processing, so making a much more in-depth database than has previously been attempted in mental health, as well as through linking the CRIS database to a lot of external sources of data so that we can have information on a variety of different areas of people's lives that can be used in research to answer important questions related to mental health and mental health care.
1: And what, uh, forgive me, what
2: does CRIS stand for? (laughs) Sorry, Clinical Record Interactive Search.
1: So So you're pulling data straight out of the electronic health record from South London, is that
2: right? Yes, through a series of pipelines. So the technical pipelines strip out the identifying information at an individual level, blank it out, and then there's also quite a lot of reordering of the information so that it's available as a database because it's it's recorded, obviously, as an electronic health record, and that's not the same as the sort of database that a researcher may need to answer their particular question.
1: So what, what kind of data... Sits within that system now?
2: Well, this is one of the areas we have to talk to new researchers about quite a lot because it's not like a research study where you have a set list of questionnaires that you ask people about or information that you collect in a particular way. The information that's in Chris is essentially what's in the source health record. So that is, you know, what's recorded routinely by All health service staff at the South London and Maudsley and there is some information that's recorded very well it's some information that's more patchy you have to know where the information might lie if you're interested in some particular question uh, you want to know sort of where would I find that information so there's quite a lot of importance in actually understanding how information is recorded in a health record before you even get to, to the research So it's very important for us to work closely with clinical colleagues of all professions who will understand this best and know the sorts of fields that are used and the way in which information does get recorded. Then we obviously try to make sure that's supplemented as much as possible if it's information that isn't in our database then we'll try to link to other databases to see if we can sort of obtain that information and if it's recorded in text we're trying to kind of develop algorithms that allow that to come out as a part of the database through extracting that information from the text.
1: Interesting. What kind of other databases are you trying to link
2: into? So um, we've I mean we've been doing this almost since as long as Chris has been in existence. We've linked to a number of different Other areas of healthcare are, most importantly for us, hospital episode statistics, which are national data that indicate when people go in and out of hospital or attend emergency rooms for, you know, all all across um, healthcare. So particularly important for us is the ability to look at people's physical health outcomes, things like admissions with strokes or heart attacks or fractures or whatever it is that people are interested in. Obviously, emergency room attendances with self-harm and is a really important outcome for mental health care. And we have detailed information on mortality. We have detailed information on particular health conditions like linkage to cancer records for a whole series of studies looking at cancer outcomes in people who have mental disorders. And then we've linked to a number of Other databases like primary care data for one of our boroughs, like the National Pupil Database for researchers wanting to look at the relationship between educational attainment and mental health in children and adolescents, and recently with national census records to look at individual socioeconomic status in order to to look at that in relation to mental health outcomes. and and, and a whole lot more. It's it's an ongoing process that we we try to, you know, render the the resource as useful as possible.
1: Are there any others you're focused on, particularly at the moment that you've not quite had access to yet and you would like?
2: Well, not that I'd want to go particularly public on. I think the the, the issue with data linkages, it's, you know, delicate negotiation because both sides, you know, the, the other data providers to feel confident that the question is right and and they've obviously got to sign off agreements on their side and have got to feel you know that that's the right thing for them to do so we're in you know we're always in various stages of negotiation with other data providers to make sure there's a you know there's both an important question to answer underlying underlying things it's got to be useful for you know for the world in general and also, that we can find a, a governance data security arrangement that everyone's happy with, um, which different people have different criteria for. So, the process of data linkage is not particularly a technical one; it's a more, much more a sort of negotiation with with different partners. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Well, I suppose who, who's allowed access to, or who's able to access, to sure, at the moment? If you're a junior researcher in psychiatry how do you go about having access to, to data sets do you have to propose a question to to you or what's the process
2: so we we try to ensure it's access as accessible as possible we are funded by generously by the NIHR National Institute for Health Research as a National Biomedical Research Centre, so therefore you know we I feel we have an obligation to help as many people as possible to support them with their research. so obviously a lot of our users are local um, who sort of come along from the who are clinicians at the South London and Maudsley or are researchers at King's College London, but then we, we work a lot with people from outside. The key requirements are for people to have the necessary affiliation with the South London and Maudsley, either through an honorary contract or a research passport. And there needs to be someone at the South London and Maudsley end who's a guarantor for the study, so we can sort of take responsibility for the study. The database itself has full ethics approval as an anonymized database, and we administer the, that ethics approval through a local oversight committee who consider and review all projects wanting to use the the database, m- predominantly to make sure, well, both that the questions are appropriate questions to be a- asking, but also that there isn't going to be any risk to data security or an accidental identifying people so we may need to make sure that the data remain anonymous um, and that's a relatively light touch process it takes sort of two or three weeks usually to gain approval so i you know if, if anyone's listening to this and has questions they think might that chris might be useful for um they're, they're welcome to get in contact with myself or any of the member of the chris team to get involved in that excellent that's that's great to
1: hear what type of questions are typical what's your uh, a typical approach to to the Chris team or is there, is that really very broad?
2: Um, it's, it's very broad in terms of we support now research across all elements of mental health care from children to old age from liaison through to psychosis through to affective disorders eating disorders all, all elements of of mental health provision. I think that. It's important when using these data resources to think through quite carefully how they contribute to research as a whole and to avoid doing research that's better done using some other data resource. So the the particular areas where clinical routine clinical data from, say, a mental health service are going to be particularly useful for is around people with particular clinical disorders and looking forward in time in terms of what happens to them, whether they get better or worse, whether they respond or not to given interventions, because there's no very useful other way of answering those questions, sort of recruiting a lot of people from a clinical service in a a sort of research study, which is always going to be limited by the amount of um, people you can recruit and by how representative those people are of the source patient population. So it, it's, it's sort of, it's particularly suited to those sorts of questions. It's sometimes used for risk factor studies, looking at risk factors for mental health disorders, although that, I mean, um, you know, most risk factor studies tend to be different in design and they don't need clinical records so much and maybe better done yeah, you, using another design, as I say, it's particularly useful for uh, routine observation and all the questions around how to best to manage services and treatments in mental health.
1: What's your goal for this system? Are you looking for better treatment solutions, better prevention, better understanding, all of the above? What's the what's the goal that you have in your mind? You've been going ten years or so, you said. Where do you want to take it?
2: Yeah, I think all of the above. I think the the challenge is particularly around translating knowledge into practice. Clearly, I mean, we have, I don't know, about sort of 130, 150 projects per year sort of applied for on the Chris, so a very busy system now in terms of people using it for all sorts of different purposes. And so there's a a lot of knowledge being generated, a lot of publications. We've had, you know, well over 150 papers published and, you know, over the course of running it. Um, So there's a lot and a lot more coming out as we speak. So it's the challenge, I think, is around sort of, you know, how to make that actually really sort of influence clinical practice. Um, how to translate that into new ways of delivering services, better treatments, um, but also I think also using the um, resource of, of of chris and chris like resources to to improve clinical care at the interface, so we're particularly interested in how much we can of of all the algorithms that we've developed to sort of look for particular characteristics of people in CRIS or characteristics of the treatments they're receiving, how much we can actually feed that back routinely in routine care to help clinicians make better decisions. Because we're obviously intimately connected with the healthcare record, but we're predominantly drawing from it. And I think we could give back a lot more to it now and are in trying to sort of develop ways of doing that. And then also around um, wider networking of CRIS and chris like resources, generally quite a few trusts now have this sort of functionality in varying forms around the country and there's a lot of scope for beginning to sort of expand things out on a multi-site level. We already work a lot with different partners in different places who use systems like our own and, and there's a real f- scope then for sort of developing something much more national in mental health care as, as a result of these things. Are
1: there any tools you think might be helpful in in achieving that nationally or has that got to be a centralised approach. No,
2: I don't think it's I don't think a centralized approach is at all the answer. I think that's uh, that's often tried in healthcare generally in healthcare data and has most of the time not been successful because at their heart all these systems need local buy in. Uh, they're owned by trusts or you're working with local GPs with their data or and, and GPs and trusts will understand their local or regional situations and will be quite happy working with that. And things have got to work at that level in order for people to have that buy-in, in order for people to feel that it's, you know, doing some good. I think a remote national centralised system is is. Apart from those required to sort of help support the infrastructure, I don't think anyone wants big sort of national databases. I think you want the capability of running things nationally and being able to kind of do multi-site analyses. Um, But those don't need big central databases. They need the ability to run for for local sites to be able to run algorithms and produce output at minimal effort. Um, and And then the results can be pooled at the end of it all.
1: And what about community reach? How how are you stepping beyond the immediate health record? So the in trust information. How 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 much success have you had in working with perhaps local partners, like in some cases, primary care and GPs, but others perhaps local authorities and charities, perhaps those uh, those who are also involved in in looking after those with mental ill health challenges.
2: Uh, We've, I mean, we've done a lot of work in that area, and whether it's for, you know, local people with sort of questions, or for government who want our particular questions answered, you know, that that our type of system can answer and isn't available sort of easily from any other national system, I think there's there's a lot of scope there, and it's it's just an ongoing process of engagement of making sure the resource is publicised. And so the people know that there's the, the potential there. Because we have a linkage with local primary care records, we're sort of accelerating that partnership strongly at the moment, because I think that that's likely to expand both in our patch and and around the country, the the possibility of primary care records that are linked in all sorts of ways to, in our case, mental health care, but also to acute trusts as well. I think there'll be a lot more sort of local data infrastructures built up. And now that's often done for sort of very specific clinical reasons but there's obviously the importance of knowledge generation from that which as I've said before needs to be needs to be sort of local a local priority first so people need to feel that they've got sort of ownership of this and and can answer the questions that they need for their sort of local issues and then you can start scaling up to make things multi-site and to produce more wider regional and, and then sort of national data and information from that. So it's all about looking and keep keeping sort of publicized, keeping an eye out for people with questions, encouraging them, and for helping facilitate them answer those questions, and then word gets around, and the more questions you answer the more the more work you generate.
1: How far away are you, or have you explored the use of kind of machine learning in in learning from the data? Is that something you've considered
2: yes it there's a number of issues. Uh, of, of machine learning applications underway we use it particularly for the natural language processing work and have done that for quite some time where you're looking for particular terms in the text and sometimes machine learning algorithms are the best way of finding that. Sometimes they aren't. Sometimes it's better just writing, uh, going the long way around and writing rules for, for text processing. And this is, you know, say if you want to look for a particular symptom in the text, well, um, we've, what we we've found is you can annotate a lot of text, put it into a machine learning algorithm and and get off for off often quite good performance straight off the mark through that. There's another element of machine learning, which is around sort of building predictive models. And we've gone down that route. I, I can't say yet that we found anything world shattering in terms of sort of prediction, because I think it's a very complicated and difficult area in mental health, generally, because the things that we do uh often and, and the disorders we treat are often complicated and influenced in all sorts of ways and influenced not only by what's in the record but also outside as well I think that I think you know I think that things will findings will accrue in those areas and we I think it's just an, an area of research that we're in the foothills of at the moment and that's likely to develop further over time but there's a lot of activity within the machine learning and AI field more generally. And this, again, sort of needs to think through how that might feed back into clinical practice as and when findings do emerge. Can these be translated back into the clinical record in a way that's meaningful for and useful for clinical care? So
1: if that's on the on the horizon and you're in the foothills of of the machine learning, what's the technology or application of technology that you're most excited about currently what's the thing that's perhaps closest to having a meaningful impact in the short term
2: it's difficult to put a sort of a sort of single thing i think i think devices are likely to become much more prevalent in mental health as well as other areas of healthcare. i think again they're in their foothills but I, i i think once people have you know got beyond a certain stage i think it'll it'll become a much more routine part of care the key thing with with this with that area is is that it needs to be much more rooted than it has been in in terms of actual clinical practice and understanding the sort of health psychology of why people are being seen in clinic and i think often those things are uh, Not sort of fully taken into account, and so you end up with a lot of research that doesn't have immediate applicability. So I think, for example, you you need to understand why people are being seen in mental health care and what it is that both they want out of it and the uh, clinic and the clinical services need out of it, and and that the devices need to be tailored to that that interface and to understand that interface very well so for example we've known for ages that filling out questionnaires is a useful part of cognitive behavioral therapy and and people do that and they will regularly take those questionnaires home and they'll fill them out day by day perhaps and then they'll bring them back to the clinic and they'll be reviewed as part of the therapeutic experience that's the sort of area where device not, not specifically CBT, but the, those, that's the sort of interface that devices will need to have. They'll need to be part of the clinic, part of the routine assessment of the condition. And I think in time, I've, I've, it's always felt to me that the, we have this rather outmoded view of following people up, which is on the assumption that we'll see someone every few weeks or few months and then ask them how how they are and how things are going. And you're then relying entirely on someone's you know, recollection at the time they see you in a rather strange clinical environment as to what's going on, whereas we could be finding these things out much more real-time through mobile devices, online platforms, you know, whatever people are prepared to use if it's incorporated into the routine clinical assessment. And I think there's a lot of areas... Sometimes not always the most the ones that come to mind immediately, but I think there's a lot of areas in which that could be very useful and provide much better care in routinely and then in turn we'll provide you know sort of a lot more knowledge generation for chris and chris like systems as as and when these are these are used because they're they're sort of providing a lot more extra data
1: so providing extra data it's often said though that more data's not necessarily the number one priority it's the usability of that data is that something that you see are you w- would you be happier if you could more easily extract data from health record systems and the like
2: well i think the usability or having more usable data is 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 the key to more data being available so it needs to be it needs to be information that is sort of ultimately clinically useful and that will then feed more information as it were i think more information on its own i agree is is not you know is not necessarily helpful i think that in terms of availability of information we've always uh, uh, with sort of working on chris we've always tried to avoid getting into the debate about whether people should be recording information in a different way in in clinical practice, whether notes should be structured differently, whether we should be asking people to be routinely completing questionnaires or, or whatever. I believe that's up to clinical services and that needs to be useful for those clinical services. And there's no point someone coming along from a research perspective and saying, you know, please do this because it will, you know, help us, you know, in our research. I I think that it needs to be sort of directly demonstrably useful in clinical practice. And so we've adopted the philosophy of, of letting information flow into the system in the clinical record as it will without influencing that and we'll just try to extract as much as possible of that to make it as useful as possible for research without bothering people at the clinical interface and making them do extra things or trying to persuade them to do extra things which I I don't see as my job and I don't think is is necessarily a helpful approach.
1: So if there's, I suppose to finish up a little bit, if there was one or two things that would really help your research over the next couple of years what what might they be I mean we're both involved with uh, MQ Mental Health who we know invest in research into uh, causes and cures for, for illness is it more charities like that more money for MQ is it more data as we've talked about what would you see as the priorities for your research in the next couple of years
2: I think the involvement of MQ in data science has been enormously helpful and it's been very cost effective, I think, because it's brought together a network of people that are working in this field across the UK in a way that would not have been possible otherwise. And it's been able to sort of pump prime a few sort of key projects using its resources wisely and not at at sort of huge scale, as well as sort of promoting a network. And I think this is really important because there's a lot of people working in this field both in our field in mental health, but also in the acute care sector and primary care that, you know, with relevant technologies that we ought to be learning from or ought to be learning from us. So that the need for these networks is is important. I think they can be usefully strengthened and kept going. I think that's, that's a really important area. I think ultimately what we particularly need at the moment are very clear demonstrably useful case studies where some things has you know can clearly make a difference now that we have a lot of the infrastructure available I think there are not so much important questions that be answered although that that will always be the case but I think sort of actual ways of translating capability whether it's information availability in mental health records or sort of information availability for policymakers, for commissioning bodies that wouldn't have previously been available. So we need to help those bodies think out of their boxes. They're used to thinking with the data that they're used to working with and I think we can now demonstrate that much more is possible with technology as it currently is. And, and, show, and, and show the way forward to make a sort of genuine difference in how information is fed back into clinical care and service development and commissioning and, and everything up from that.
1: Fantastic. Thank you very much. So final couple of questions then. Given all the research you have done, what would your
2: go-to suggestion be for, uh, for unwinding or for relaxing? I think if anyone wants to unwind or relax, you want you want something that's sort of completely out of the box and nothing to do with your day job. And so for me, yeah, if I can find the time, still try to carry on what I used to do at school in terms of drawing particularly, um, life drawing. My daughter is an art student, so I get a bit of sort of impetus having to accompany her on on various things. And that's a very relaxing thing because it concentrates the mind. Playing a musical instrument is is another one. It's just anything that sort of concentrates the mind and there's nothing to do with work. Fantastic.
1: And are you reading anything particularly interesting at the moment?
2: I'm in the middle of, Charles Dickens' Little Dorrit at the moment. It's a book I've read before quite a long time ago, so I, I sort of had a a yearning to revisit it um, after a long gap. Um, and that's that's a very excellent and wonderful book, highly recommended. says most of what you need to know about life, I think. Rob,
1: thank you ever so much for taking the time to speak to us. It's been fascinating to listen to what you're doing with Chris and, and to where it's going, actually. And good to know if there is anybody listening who wants to get in touch, that you're happy for them to do that. I think it's fairly easy to find your contact details with a quick Google, isn't it?
2: Yes, yes. I'm, I'm fairly easily contactable and found online. Fantastic.
1: Well, I'm sure, I'm sure they will. And I'm sure you and I will see each other at an MQ event in the not-too-distant future. I think we're off to Edinburgh at some point to yes, I'll be the there data then. science meeting. Fantastic. Yeah. So thanks ever so much and I appreciate your time.